Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajasad, and with me as always is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Now, if this is the first time you've listened to our podcast, let me just break it down for you for a second. Ben and I, we're a pair of automotive journalists. We've driven some really cool cars, um, and Ben in particular has been driving something very exciting. But before I get him to even start talking about that car, I'm going to ask him to plug some of the publications that he's written for in case, you know, you like the sound of his voice and you want to hear it in your head while you're reading his stuff. Ben, who have you been writing for lately? You can find my stuff at Motor Trend, uh, Automobile Magazine, Super Street, and Driving Line. Awesome publications. I actually really, really love um, the work that Super Street has been putting out lately. Uh, as for myself, you can find me at Auto Guide as well as the their YouTube channel. And lately, you'll find me at AutoTrader.ca. But Ben, let's get back to you. You drove something very cool, very exciting, and something that I'm sure everyone is dying to hear about. Come on, spill the beans. Well, I went to Sonoma, California last week to drive the 2020 Dodge Charger SRT Hellcat Widebody. That, that is a long name, Sammy. It is a very long name. And it's also um, interesting that, you know what, instead of um, Dodge changing their, you know, like redesigning a car and giving it a new platform or anything, they just keep making uh, very small, incremental, but uh, impactful uh, changes to the vehicle so that people can look at it and say, oh, that's a new one. Um, so a wider body now, which is something that I've been working on uh, myself every year of my life, it seems. What's the story with the um, wide body version of the Charger Hellcat? Well, there's not a lot of surprises here because last year we got a wide body version of the Challenger. Yeah. And we didn't just get a wide body version of the Challenger. We also got a red eye version of the Challenger, which took part of the demon motor and put that in the Hellcat and bumped power from 707 to 797 horsepower. So, the, yeah, the Challenger's been getting a lot of attention. And to hear Dodge talk about it, they had some Charger owners who were like, you know what, we've been buying your crazy Hellcat Charger, but uh, why can't we get all this cool stuff that the Challenger guys are getting? Why is it only the two doors that are getting all of this attention? So they decided to make a wide-body version of the Charger as well. And mechanically... It's essentially the same playbook as what you'd find in the regular Hellcat. So 707 horsepower, 650 pound-feet of torque from a supercharged 6.2-liter engine. Jeez. None of that has changed. But what is different, Sammy, is it's three and a half inches wider. So okay. it, that is primarily to house much wider tires. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but they're 335 series, and I think they're 20 inches. They're 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 really huge. And okay. it also comes with a more aggressive front end and rear end. They've done a bit of a restyling for the Charger for this year. And all of that added up together makes a stickier package for the track. But uh, you might remember that the mm-hmm. Charger Hellcat was the faster version of the two cars. I, I, I remember that very vaguely, but it, it felt more like a dream. Um, <laughs> now, now, now it's seeming really true it feels like deja vu well it's, it was it was all the way back in 2015 when we first saw the hellcats and oh my god i know <laughs> and i think i don't remember the exact top speed for the challenge for the challenger the two-door i believe it was 199 miles an hour but the longer charger was more aerodynamic it was more stable and it was able to hit 202 miles an hour i think that was the the top speed you okay. gotta you gotta erase that now with the wide body because the extra frontal area of the car 
combined with some tweaks that they've made for cooling, it brings the top speed and the wider tires, of course, it brings the top speed down to, are you ready for this? 196 miles an hour, Sammy. Oh my God, what are we going to do about this? This means that if you're on the Autobahn or Mexico and you line up beside a... Or in Mexico, not on Mexico, I guess. (laughs) I I thought I said in, but... Oh, sorry. We'll refer to the tape. Yeah, we will. And uh, if you if you light up beside a previous generation, uh, previous generation, it's the same generation, an older a slim body, a slim body Hellcat <laughs> yes. with your wide body Hellcat, you better get them off the line because you won't catch them at the 200 mile an hour mark. You'll be terrified, no doubt, but also also very far behind. But it is faster off the line, Sammy. It's I think 3.6 seconds zero to 60, which is somewhat quicker than the narrow body because you hit all that extra traction and in the quarter mile it now runs under 11 seconds it's 10.96 seconds in the quarter i believe okay i need you to go through the hellcat timeline with me right now because things are they're getting fuzzy and they're getting a little complicated for me what did the we hellcat- start what did we start contractually being obligated to talk about hellcats on every podcast <laughs> it feels like where's, yeah where's that 20, on the timeline 2015 you're telling me 2014 or 2015 i i don't know it's all such a blur of okay um, so the charger and challenger come out with this 707 horsepower um supercharged uh v8 right that's what that's what happened first that's what everyone was into then this demon version of the um challenger arrives which is a what's the best word uh, a uh, a drag-focused version of the car, I guess yeah, is the best way to put it. 840 horsepower on super high-octane gas, plus narrow front tires so you can pop a wheelie. Right. Uh, and not to mention that Nito uh, Demon box, I think that was what it was called. Yeah, for $1, you got, the, uh, you, you got the ability to remove the right front. No, I think the front seat was an option you had to add into the car. Hmm. But the Demon box was a dollar, and it gave you the skinny tires and a bunch of other stuff needed to unlock the ECU to get to the, the crazy Demon tune. I might be mistaken, but I feel like there was a very slight bump in power around that point of, as well from normal Hellcats. Does that sound? No, it's, no? it's been 707 the whole time. Okay. Uh, and then we have these ones that are, we're getting now. We had this um, this red eye, and then we have these wide body ones, right? Well, that's the, well we... the, red eye, the red eye has always been wide body. Okay. And that was, but that's only available as a challenge. Right. So we've got this challenger that hasn't received a demon version of the car. Hasn't received a, a, a no the, red char- eye. the charger hasn't received a demon. Sorry, the charger hasn't received. It. Oh my god, I'm losing it. I know. Um, that's and, why I need this timeline. Well, the demon was also only available for a short period of time. It's not currently on sale anymore. There's no 2020 oh. model year demon. Okay, and so then we've got the these chargers, which felt a little left behind in comparison to the challengers. That's essentially what we're talking about, right? Yeah. So right? you get you get the scat pack for the the charger. Uh, sorry, you yeah. get the wide body for the charger, and it, it's not just for the the Hellcat. You can get it for the scat pack 392, which is the okay. 485 horsepower, naturally aspirated 6.4 liter V8, and that car. It, uh, the 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 wide body isn't the only aspect of the cars that are changed. Both of the cars have more aggressive sway bars. They're thicker front and rear. And the suspension tuning has been changed. The uh, adaptive suspension, each each car comes with, if you order the wide body, you get an adaptive suspension with the car. And it has three different modes. You have street, you have track, and you have race. But the valving has been changed in the shocks to go with the slightly stiffer springs. I think it's 37% stiffer in the cars. I'm not 100% certain on that. That's not bad. But Man, what's that's interesting, a significant change. Isn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. And what's interesting too is the Scat Pack actually pulls 0.98 g in a skid pad versus the Hellcat, which only pulls 0.96 because of that different weight distribution. The Hellcat mm. being so much heavier up front with the supercharger on the engine. 
it also uh, it also makes it surprised me that like people who uh, either have bought have bought a Hellcat or haven't even bought bought a Hellcat were waiting this long for the sorry for the for the wide body version or a, a more special edition version of the Charger. I, I'm curious to see what exactly is going on in the minds of Hellcat buyers or Hellcat interested, right? You know, I don't like- think I don't think anyone was waiting. The, the Charger has done phenomenal business for mm-hmm. Chrysler. I think they're doing something like thirty percent more sales year over year over the last couple of years. If you think about it, and this is something that was brought up at the launch, there is no competition for this car. <laughs> um, the Charger, yeah, the Charger. No one's building. First of all, very few people are building a rear wheel drive full size family sedan. I think that Chrysler with the three hundred and mm-hmm. the charger from dodge are the only two that really fit in that category right now maybe the stinger oh that's that's correct that that's a good that's a good point the stinger yes is is definitely in there so you have but even then it's it just doesn't feel like the same no but vehicle right you brought up the you brought up the stinger which is totally valid so that's that's still only a market of three yeah it's very small then you throw in the fact that the the Chrysler doesn't offer a V8, I think, in the 300 anymore. Is the 300C still around? I'm not sure. But regardless... I haven't, I haven't heard of or seen a new 300 in so long. I wouldn't know, probably. <laughs> regardless, you have no one building a 500-horsepower scat pack version of this car anywhere else, right. To let, let alone a 707-horsepower supercharged car. So right. they own the market. And uh, that's kind of put them in the unique position where everyone who wants this car has to go to FCA to get this car. So they've been doing very well with it, which is good because, as you pointed out earlier, it's, it's an old platform. And mm-hmm. they've been updating it and updating it and updating it. Um, but uh, as for the future of it, I, I don't know if we're going to see – I mean, is it natural to look at the Challenger and then say everything that happens in Challenger world is going to happen in Charger world? I don't necessarily think so. Okay. Um, also – I it's worth talking about a, the future of this platform or this vehicle. I don't think there is a future anymore. I think this is all we're gonna we're gonna go on forever and ever. It's gonna be this this platform, this setup, um, and maybe they can do a, um, a, a more of a visual refresh. But I think we're done here. I don't know if there's ever going to be a next generation version of this car in the same way that we know it. Uh, and, and kind of touching back on on segment and owning a segment. So the Scat Pack is forty five grand. For, That's a pretty good deal, to be honest. Yeah, for the wide body, which is, you know, the regular scat pack is only 39. Oh, wow. That's also <laughs> It's like 39 or 40. So if you want a big V8 four-door sedan... That's mm-hmm. very comfortable to drive. Then the the Charger is appealing, and the 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 the, the, the SRT Hellcat version of the car, and this is kind of interesting. So it's sixty nine thousand six hundred and forty five dollars. That's okay. a lot more than the Scat Pack, but you can only get a wide body Charger now. You can't get a narrow body Charger if you want the Hellcat engine. Hmm. So it doesn't have. How do that- you feel about that? Like, uh, do you think it's? I think it makes I mean, sense. For- for starters, like you mentioned, now the wide-body version it has a lower top speed. Not that that's a huge deal, because one was over 200 and the other one was it's slightly less than 200. That's not a big deal. No, right? 
I, I think that it makes sense because I think that I, I'm not sure what the percentage of, you know, Scat Pack versus Hellcat sales really is. Mm-hmm. But I think it makes sense for them to kind of just kind of focus on the, the high profit margins of the Hellcat and then offer an option for the Scat Pack. But, you know, we've been talking a lot about both of these cars and I haven't even talked about what it was like to drive them, Sammy. Yeah, tell me. What was it, what was it like? First of all, was it different than driving um, a normal Hellcat tra- Charger? Yeah, you know what? Yes. Um, what? Really? Yeah, because we drove them at Sonoma Raceway, which is a really interesting racetrack. I think my hands were straight on the wheel for maybe 12 to 15 seconds a lap. <laughs> it's it's a very involved track where there's a lot to do all of the time, and it's a lot of fun. I really enjoyed my time there, and I'm very happy, and I feel fortunate that I got to drive it. I mean, Sonoma is a long way from Montreal, so it's uh, it's it's always an experience to, to drive a world-class racetrack like that. But what I did notice is I had previously driven the Charger Hellcat at a track on the East Coast, Summit Point, which is right. near Washington, D.C., that track was somewhat smaller, but not quite as many turns. And what I liked, I've always liked the Charger Hellcat better than the Challenger Hellcat on the track because that extra wheelbase just makes it more stable. It's okay. an easier, more forgiving car to drive. You couldn't get a manual transmission and you still can't, which is a little bit of an annoyance. But the 8-speed that you get with the with any LX platform vehicle is is excellent. So at Sonoma, what I really noticed was there's increased grip almost all the time. I never really felt like the car was in danger of losing the rear end unless I wanted it to. And that's something that it's somewhat of an upgrade over the regular Charger, which didn't quite have as much tire, obviously. Uh, It's... Still the kind of car that weighs 4,500 pounds and there's not a ton of feel through the steering anymore. This is the first version of the Charger to come with electric power steering. The previous Hellcat, sorry, the version of the Charger Hellcat, the previous Hellcat had hydraulic steering, a little bit more feel. So that's kind of a trade-off that you're making. But the car was... Man, I just thought it was a body kit and that's it. There's so much more going into this this version of the the Hellcat. Well, SRT doesn't mess around. I mean, this is a company that, like you said, has been focused on refining this particular platform for a number (laughs) of years. So they really kind of know where the weak spots are and where they need to pay attention. Let me laugh while you talk about refinement in a 707 horsepower <laughs> muscle car. Well, I will say this. Uh, there's there's something that's common to both the narrow body or slim body, as you've so artfully put it, <laughs> version of the Charger and the wide body. And that's that on a racetrack, you spend a significant portion of every lap managing the car. Right. So unlike the Scat Pack, where you can just go out and, it, funnily enough, the 485 horsepower car is so much easier to drive in the sense that the throttle response is more immediate. You don't get that huge slam of torque, but you do get a nice you get a nice tip in. But also, you don't feel like you can easily upset the car with the right foot, which is something that can happen in the scat pack at any time. You have to constantly be vigilant to make sure you're not overpowering the car. And I'm not saying it's easy to overpower the Charger, but with that much power... On tap, you can get in trouble if you want to get in trouble. The Scat Pack, on the other hand, it's just more fun. It feels like you're driving the track instead of managing the car, and that's something that I enjoy. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I've always said that if you're like a driving enthusiast, the um, the Scat Pack actually really is um, right is the right amount of car, the right amount of power, and still a lot of fun. I don't know. I really don't understand the market for the Hellcat. It's always been like somebody who really wants the ultimate, the excessiveness of 700 
horsepower. And there are people like that, and I totally get why they would be into that. But to me, I would I would always recommend the Scat Pack first or those SRT models because they they sound good, they drive really well, and they're a really good um, a price point as well. I th- so, I think I think you're right in a lot of ways. Uh, the the thing though. I understand what the Hellcat market is. There's, there's, there's a couple things about it that make sense to me. The first is drag racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're drag racing, then 707 horsepower is better than 485. And you don't have to worry so much about managing power around a corner because there are no corners, right? So it's that it's that much easier. The other thing is I don't think anyone's taking these cars to a racetrack. I think, okay. I think the Challenger, maybe that market might be going to a racetrack. I've never seen a Charger at a track day that I've gone to. I'm not saying you couldn't do it, but I think these are more street cars that are fun and, as you pointed out, excessive. And I think that a big part of the appeal is having more power than the other guy. And I'll relate to you something that a uh, another journalist said to me, and I, I think he's actually a Mopar owner himself, said to me at the event I was saying to someone else that I, I feel the same way you do, that I, I like the Scat Pack more. And mm-hmm. then this gentleman said, well, when I pull up at the light beside you with my Hellcat version and embarrass you, will you feel the same way? And I was like, that's really not something I ever thought of until now. <laughs> I mean, um, I don't know. I, I mean, the Hellcat owner to me is the person who loves to embarrass people. That's the thing about <laughs> Shout it. out to friend of the show, Bradley Iger. Who really <laughs> um, I, I, I just think that they have, they, they like to exude that loud personality that the, uh, that the Hellcat represents. And uh, while you do still have that for the most part in the other versions of the SRT um, Charger and Challenger, the, the Hellcat just takes it to the next level. It really does fulfill that, um, that need of, of just showing everybody up. And I think that's important because this car at 770, sorry, 707 horsepower um, can probably outperform a lot of much more expensive vehicles and uh, fancier cars from luxury brands or, or um, high performance brands as well. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, this is one of those rare situations where a 707 horsepower car is the underdog. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so that's what I'm trying to get at. I mean... When it comes to picking the the Scat Pack and the and the Hellcat, it really depends on who you like see as on the daily basis. If you're constantly seeing all those gorgeous um, AMGs or M, uh, BMW M series or even Audi's RS vehicles or maybe even um, a Porsche Panamera for for a family vehicle, a turbo, for example, and you see all these really fast, fancy cars, well, the Hellcat does it for like half the price. And it's faster than all of those things, and you'd probably want to show them up. But in all these other ways, I find that the Scat Pack is is just as fast and, and performance-oriented as some sports cars in, in many ways. It's so much fun to drive, and it has that, that style and that personality that makes it you know, so unique and appealing. And you know what also is, is fun about these cars is that you can get them in a bunch of candy colors. I mean, SRT makes yeah. bright blues and greens and oranges and reds and stripes and all sorts of neat stuff. Oh, and there's, you can't, it, that, that's harder to get in any segment, but I mean, a lot of those luxury cars you just mentioned, they come in, you know, white, black, or silver. Right, uh, or you need to pay a lot more for a fancy color. And I guess the owners of those cars don't mind, but I mean, a Hellcat owner would be someone who's enjoying that uh, privilege of personalizing their vehicle without uh, breaking the bank. 
And there's one more Relative. vehicle. There's one more version of the car I forgot to mention that that what? is coming out for 2020. And you, I, we were talking about how the engine hasn't really changed for the Charger, and that's not quite true because there's a special Daytona 50th anniversary edition of the car. Okay, that, cool. It, it comes in B5 blue and other colors, but I think B5 is specific to the car. You get a mm. little white stripe at the back with Daytona written on it, but it comes with 717 horsepower. They bump the red line a little bit to give it some some extra grunt. So it's it's not really a meaningful change, but it is a difference between that car and the regular wide body. Very cool. Uh, that B5 blue is like one of my favorite. B5? B9? B5. B- B9 oh, is Star Trek. B5 yes. is, is SRT. B5 is uh, a gorgeous blue. Um, and if I was ever going to get a Charger or a Challenger, I would want it in that blue, um, mainly because I'm a blue car fan, I guess. I think B9 is also Tribeca, isn't it, for Subaru? That's right. That's where I got it from, of course. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, uh, Sammy, is there anything else that you wanted to to know about the the Charger wide body? I want to talk to you about something um, that has popped up on my on my social media feeds a bunch of times, and oh I was hoping God. you could talk it, about it a little bit. Is this family safe? Yeah, it is. It's okay. about these um, these splitter guards. Have you heard about this? Yes, I have. Well, but why don't you explain to everyone else what you're talking about? From what I understand, now I'm I don't think I've seen them, uh, but everyone seems to be up in arms for some reason or another. Um, when a Challenger or Charger Hellcat is shipped to the dealership, they're put in a car carrier, and um, parts of the splitter are covered with these bright yellow um, guards. That's what, I guess that's what they're called. They're like foam, yeah. like like uh, those foam pool noodles, right? Like cut in half. Is that what they look like? I don't know. Kind of, yeah, but them. smaller. And apparently, um, buyers actually like the uh, the visual uh, impact that these little yellow mark corner marks make. Uh, sorry, these bumper guards make on the corner, and they keep them on for the donation of their cards, or have started buying some off of eBay to affix to their vehicles for some reason or another. Did you have you seen these things in in the real world before? And what is your take on them? I have, and I'm amazed that people are so offended by this because I know. this is a divisive <laughs> subject in the Mopar world, where people hate on people who have them, and then people who have them hate on the people hating on them. It's really a vicious cycle to the point where uh, what's happening is Chrysler has decided to stop producing. <laughs> The bright yellow bumper, or so not bumper, but splitter guards. I think they're going to like a fuchsia or a purple color. Oh, for the, even for cooler. The, I like them more. So they're like, well, maybe people won't want to keep them on the car because they're not as bright or easy to see now. But what I think is going to happen is it's just going to create like an underground market where people are going to want different colors yeah. and different years. And it'll, it'll create, you know, striations within the uh, Hellcat ownership world, and like, oh, you have a purple car, you have purple guards, so you're you're part of the new set, and I'm in the old guard with the yellow, and it's just going to get even more competitive. Um, okay, so what I understand, first of all, um, I love the idea that people want to make their cars, um, personalize their cars, make them stand out a little bit. Um, but what I believe um, is going on is that somebody at the event that you're at, or, or one of the waves of the events that you're at, um, I had a conversation with uh, Dodge designers who who said that the guards are ruining the the lines of the vehicle, and I think that's um, I don't see it. I don't believe that. Let but. me ask you a question, Sammy. Would you keep the plastic on the seats in your car for the duration of ownership? No, it's exactly the same thing. No, it's not. It one hundred percent on the seats. 
Well, that that splitter is not doing its job anymore if it's no longer the shape it was when it left the engineer's studio. Okay, so you're saying the aerodynamics of the car are impacted by this. Assuming yes. I'm, I'm taking the car on track, fine, gotcha. Um, at higher speeds, okay, sure, I can also see that being an impact. What about but- cooling? What about that splitter sending air to the radiator? It, cooling is so important on the Hellcat that right. there is no adaptive cruise control available with the car, unlike the uh, unlike the Scat Pack version, because they don't want to put a camera in front of the radiator. Right. Okay. Well, fine. We got we you you've made your point. I mean, I personally thought um, letting people um, enjoy the the design of the car themselves uh, is is fine. I I, but... I personally don't care. I, I think, yeah. like you, that people can do whatever they want to their cars, but it is no different than keeping those plastic tabs on the doors that they're shipped on, too, to prevent the doors from hitting other doors inside the shipping container. It is and ex- I've, see, I've seen that on cars. So. Yeah, so it's exactly the same. So if you're okay with being part of that crowd, then that's cool. <laughs> do you think it's a crowd? Do you think they get together all the time? Like I don't think they have stuff? any friends, Sammy. <laughs> And why are they so concerned about damaging their cars? I'm kidding. I don't I I don't I think that people should do whatever they want to do with their cars. People do weird stuff, people do weirder stuff than this. So That's you true. Know, why not? The, the the thing I wonder though is if you're driving with those guards on all the time, are they not gonna get dirty? Like yeah. picking up at the very least bugs and stuff when you're on the yeah. highway. And how how like how they are fixed. They're fixed so so strongly. I guess. Um, one more question: How much are, is the Hellcat again? It's sixty nine, six forty five, and you can only buy the well buy. You can only buy the wide body now. Okay. And are there any additional like performance oriented packages that go with that? There's just the Daytona one that I was talking about, and that's another five k on top of the Hellcat wide body. So you're looking at seventy four thousand. And it adds ten horsepower. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, ben, I'm gonna talk, I'm gonna bring things down to a grinding halt by talking about a car that is so much less powerful and uh, less performance oriented than, and, and also I believe one that no one can buy unless they live in Europe. Yeah. So I went to Ireland and uh, Ireland, Ireland. How did I say it? Why did I say it so poorly, Ben? <laughs> You're so confusing. Ireland. Um, and I got to drive a a Volkswagen T Cross, which is a small or a subcompact. Crossover. And How different is it from the Cross T? The Cross T? I don't know. There's no such thing as a Cross T. Is okay, there? I'm confused by branding. Obviously. Obviously, the problem with it is that Volkswagen. All of Volkswagen's SUVs start with the letter T, as in we know the Tiguan and the and the Touareg. But for whatever and the reason, the Turok, right? And yes, yes. And for whatever reason, the Atlas didn't follow that name nomenclature. But in Europe, they have the Tiguan, the Touareg. They have a um, T Rock, and then at the very bottom of the size um, lineup is this T Cross. So I want you to imagine all of these other small or subcompact crossovers that we've been seeing in the market so often, and it's it's a very um, competitive segment right now. Uh, especially in North America, and there is no Volkswagen offering here as of yet. Um, I think that's going to change in the future, and I wonder if this T-Cross has any um, impact on what that's going to be like. And I have a couple of things to talk about if 
at all Volkswagen is thinking of bringing their European model. So you have some um, pointers for Volkswagen. Yeah, I think so. So let me explain. The car that I had is a front-wheel drive only car. It did come with a manual transmission and under the hood was a one-liter turbocharged three-cylinder engine that made about 115 horsepower and 145, uh, 147 pound-feet of torque. Okay. So, uh, it was a little, it was okay. I mean, I'll be honest. Once you, once you lay into the throttle and in certain gears, the car does get up to speed, but I think there's such a difference in trans in, sorry, gear ratios that, um, the fifth and sixth gears in particular gives zero, um, like push at all. There's no thrust from those two gears when you're on the highway or anything like that. You almost always feel like you have to. Uh, downshift at least one or two gears to get going uh, in any kind of speed. Well, th- that's, and that's something that's not uncommon in that segment, though. I mean, if you're to look at a vehicle in North America that maybe most closely resembles the T Cross, I'd say it's probably the Ford EcoSport, right? Right. Now, the EcoSport would be probably the best bet. You're right. Um, and that is a car that didn't, that earned no uh, kudos for its powertrain. Am I wrong? Like <laughs> I don't nobody think has anything good to say about, about any power- aspect of the EcoSport at all. And it, it's it's 123 horsepower from a one liter Turbo Three. So okay, that's so what a little bit more thinking power. about it. Yeah, it's uh, well 10, 10, like, 10 more horsepower maybe. Oh yeah, that goes a long way when you've only got 115, right? But like- I've, I've driven that engine in the the Fiesta. And yeah. I remember it's one of the few cars where I actually had to downshift into first gear when slowing down for a corner to get around that cor- – like a 90-degree corner in a city just to stay in the power band. So I, that could be a really frustrating experience. Right. So, I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is that we're so used to different kinds of vehicles here in North America than Europe uh, is. And I can imagine these smaller cars being – obviously, they make way more sense over there. And I'll tell you, driving in Europe is one of the most interesting – Things and in Ireland in, in particular, the roads um, vary so so much. So their highways are are they're not as big as some of the ones I'm used to. They are generally around two lanes in each direction, and they can get up to 120 kilometers per hour, which is pretty good. Uh, we don't have very many of that. That's uh, about 75 miles an hour for our American listeners. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Um, because I'm used to 100 kilometer per hour highways in in Canada, and that can be um, a bit boring. What's crazier is once you get off the highway, so many so many of these really small back roads are 100 uh, kilometer an hour roads. They're tiny. They're extremely narrow. And that's where I see these really small cars um, really fitting in and making themselves feel more not more natural because the roads are so um, narrow. If I recall, you told me that uh, at, during part of your trip, your fiance was actually upset at you for not – maximizing the full potential of the speed limits on these roads. Am I correct, <laughs> Yes, you're right. Why do you have to throw me under the bus like that? Well, you know what? She'll be happy to know that uh, she gets the respect that she deserves on this podcast. She, because... she is a, a near-native Irish person. And yeah. she has she is has experience and comfort level with these narrow, fast roads that apparently Sammy does not have. <laughs> yeah, so she's uh she's obviously more comfortable on some of these uh narrower roads and she can uh she felt more more at ease driving at higher speeds and when i was tootling along along at like 80 or 90 kilometers an hour she was like you need to pick up the speed because it's clearly 100 here and you're really embarrassing her i i I mean there was no one else in the in the area i don't know what her what her hurry was but uh she just loves the and, and i got to admit the road trip um feeling in ireland is absolutely 
wonderful. You everywhere you go is a beautiful landscape. There are these broken castles off in the distance and or or passing you by. There's um, gorgeous scenery absolutely everywhere. I really have to admit, um, every time I go to Ireland and go on this on one of these road trips. Uh, which is coming becoming more often because, as you said, um, my fiance grew up in Ireland. She has family and friends there, and we love to visit. It's it's beautiful. I absolutely love it there. Would I do it again in a T cross? Maybe not. But the car was pretty practical and very well equipped. What it had like. Just... What did you like most about the T cross? Okay, so for a small car, it came with almost every feature you could think of. Yes, it had navigation. It had Apple CarPlay, Android Auto. It has a wireless phone charger. It has Adaptive cruise control and lane keeping assist. You know what? That's kind of important stuff for when you're driving on the other side of the road and you're trying to get um, used to that. You know, it takes uh, a little bit of adjustment uh, at that point. Um, there's parking sensors. Again, small cities, small roads, and you have to get used to uh, parking in much smaller spaces than we're used to as well. Um, there's all of these features, and I think that's pretty impressive because I think we're used to small cars being cheap and offering almost no features. And if you like want the Echo Sport. Yeah, and if you want those features, you're going to have to go up to another product altogether. So what, and, did, you like, what did you like the least about the car then? Because this sounds okay. very positive. The powertrain is absolutely the worst part of it. And if it does come to North America, it needs a completely different engine. And I think Volkswagen has a pretty good grasp of good engines, so I think it might be more of a transmission um, concern. Uh, especially, as I said, trying to get up to 120 um, on a highway could took a, a good amount of patience and main, mainly the main reason I I struggled on some of those back roads is because you know you have to change gears so many times when you're reaching a corner and all that stuff and although that's fun um, you know getting up to to sixth and fifth gear only to drop down to second to turn to make a turn was it was a bit um, what's the word I'm looking for kind of sounds like you were busy all the time yeah and I didn't I didn't enjoy that at at all. It was tedious, I think is the best way to say it. Um, it was also not exactly quiet. I mean, as much as it's got all those features, it's still one of the least um, you know, expensive products that Volkswagen offers. So I shouldn't expect it to be a, a luxury-oriented product. Uh, and the trunk was completely useless. It only fit, it only fit one of our uh, suitcases in the trunk. We had to fold down the rear seats in order to get our other ones in. So... I, that really bothers me, that last part, because what's the point of owning a crossover if it's useless for doing anything other than just daily driving? Like, isn't the point of a crossover to have extra utility over a standard car? Right. And this car, I will admit the the rear seats were extremely spa- spacious. And you've met um, one of my brother-in-laws and uh, another, my other brother-in-law has is even taller than bo- both of us. He's, my goodness. He's uh, about six two or six three and he sits in the in the rear seats of that car pretty comfortably because your fiance sits in the front so she can keep you at a at a yeah. competitive speed yes she did that the whole time <laughs> um so that's um i found it to be quite spacious in the back and it even had some usb ports uh so it seemed more of a family oriented vehicle but then again if you've got a family you're probably putting stuff in the trunk as well be it strollers or um you know equipment like sporting equipment or something like that yeah and this wouldn't do. So it, I think they're, they've got a pretty good idea of what a good subcompact crossover could be. But uh, I think this car might be a little bit too different for our market. 
um, and we'll need some adjustments. So, you said, did you did you mention what the Volkswagen subcompact crossover is going to be called in North America? I think it'll be called the T Rock. I'm not sure. And so, that's another model that they sell uh, altogether in in Europe. So they so have I the. Want, yeah. I just want to ask our listeners: Do you think T Rock or T Cross is a cooler name? If if you have an opinion, just let us know. Uh, Sammy, oh, it, do you, do you have anything else that you want to talk about the T Cross? Yeah, I have one more thing I need to talk about, and it baffles me every time I try to talk about it. Um, and I've been trying to talk to you about it and trying to make sense out of it. The pricing for uh, vehicles in Europe seems debilitating, man. Um, I'll, I'll clear it up. This car, as it was sold um, or as it was equipped, was over 30,000 euro. That's a lot of money, um, especially when you consider um, conversion. I, well, yeah, I, don't know it, how to, I don't know how to say that. I mean, here in, in North America, that'd be over $40,000. That's a lot of cash, man. So I, I looked into it, and I came up with a couple of things. But first, there's, a, there's an article I read that actually it's from 2004. I don't know if this is still true. But okay. Ireland is the most expensive country for a number of cars, okay. uh, ranging from the Micra, Nissan Micra, all the way up to uh, vehicles from Land Rover, and they found the, the the journalist who wrote this article found that prices across the European Union, Union can vary as much as thirty nine percent depending on where you're buying. Okay, so that has that has a big uh, impact. Also, pre but even pre tax prices in your in Ireland were eight percent higher than the lowest prices in other EU countries at that okay. time. But then I, I did some more research for you. And I discovered that a lot of the headline pricing that you're seeing uh, that's advertised, it includes taxing. So okay. that's 20% right on the top. And I, Yeah, I believe Ireland itself has some pretty significant taxes as well. And that some of the European cars that are exported to Canada and the United States, they're subsidized to a degree by the manufacturers because mm-hmm. they want to get market share. So they, they put an artificially low entry price on some of those vehicles. So that, that accounts for some of it. And then the, the third reason, Sammy, is competition. There's just not as much competition in Europe in certain segments of the market. So prices tend to be higher. Okay. So, I mean, I, I, I thought I was thinking about that competition part. Um, there's not as many, it seems like there's not as many market segments uh, in general. So we don't see the same large, um, we don't see like very many three row SUVs in Europe. And if anything, they'll get a van and they seem to have no worries about a van or a wagon. Um, and and they have no worries about that. So that's an entire, um, segment of, uh, of vehicle that's gone. And one that is usually sold at pretty, at a pretty high cost premium here in North America. So they can raise the price of almost everything else in relation in in relation to that, right? Sure. Um, so I, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing what Volkswagen has to offer. They're taking their time to enter this market in North America, and uh, I think they have a lot of experience in other markets, and they can draw on. But we've seen this kind of experiment um, before, especially when it came to that Echo Sport that you were talking about. I hope Volkswagen takes this class in the segment seriously because. They can. They can really succeed here. Well, if they um, if they don't take it seriously, then vehicles like the Kona are going to eat their lunch. Yeah, and the Kona is fantastic. It's so good. Um, and then other really cheap subcompacts like the Nissan Kicks, for example, is this enjoyable, fun car to drive that never feels like it's bre- like as breathless as this thing did. So they 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 have some some work to do if they're going to be entering our our market with a subcompact um, SUV. So, Sammy, what are we going to be talking about next week? What do you you have on the dock? Next week, I've got the new Mercedes-Benz GLE. 
um, to talk about. I've driven it very briefly on a first drive, and now I get it for a whole week. And I'll even be comparing it to a Porsche Cayenne. No, that's 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 going to be an interesting uh, an interesting discussion for sure. I'm going to be talking about the Chrysler Pacifica Hybrid, which okay. is a plug-in minivan that I spent a week with, and uh, it's kind of one of the it's. It's an interesting vehicle because Chrysler only sells two cars, <laughs> and the Pacifica is one of them. So we will be getting into what that was like. Very cool. I can't wait. If this is the first time, dear listener, if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast, you know what? You can go to our website. You can listen to some of the previous episodes, or you can even see some of the photos and links to the articles that we've written about the cars that we're talking about. So just go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're there, you'll see all those links. You'll see all those photos. It'll be, it's, it's a beautiful site. Trust me. There's also um, links and buttons so that you can subscribe to our podcast using your favorite podcast client. Now, if your favorite podcast client isn't on the website, just, just search for us on your podcast client. I'm sure we're in there. And, and if we're not, just let us know. And it, to let us know, you can get in touch with us in a number of ways. Uh, I am available via old-fashioned email, benjamin at benjaminhunting.com, or you can get me on Instagram, at huntingbenjamin. Sammy prefers the mano e mano battle to the death of intellectual anger that is Twitter, and you can find him there, at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Or, if you don't want to do any of that, and you only use the web... You can go to unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, and we have a contact form there, and that is read by an actual human being and not a bot. I swear it's not a bot, Sammy. Okay, I'm looking forward to hearing the uh, or reading these actual uh, emails or these messages and not sending it to our bot that I usually do. All right, and I want to thank everyone for listening this week, and we hope to have you back next week. Take care. Bye. <laughs>